Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Heki Ganroku, Case 7. Hogan's You Are Echo, Engo's Introduction. As to what stands prior to the word, not one phrase has been handed down, even by the thousand holy ones. If you are not yet intimate with it, you are separated from it by the three thousand worlds. Even if you have attained some understanding of it and could stop the mouths of people living in the world, you are not yet worthy to be called clear-eyed. That is why it is said that heaven cannot cover it, earth cannot hold it, space cannot accommodate it, sun and moon cannot shine on it. When there is no Buddha, and when you alone are the master, then for the first time, you are worthy of being talked about a little. Now, if you are not yet like that, you have to become enlightened in relation to the slightest object and give out illumination yourself. Then you can go anywhere and enjoy perfect freedom in your dharma activity. Whatever you take up, you act rightly. Tell me, how could you achieve such freedom? Once again, I ask you, do you understand this? None hitherto had noticed the sweat of his steed but his merits must be recognized. Now, what is Secho's koan? See below. Main subject. A monk said to Hogan, My name is Echo. I ask you, what is the Buddha? Hogan said, You are Echo. Secho's verse. In the land of the river, faintly stirring, the gentle breeze of spring. Far away, deep among blossoms, the partridge sings. Ascending the falls, the carp became a dragon. Yet still by night, fools fish for him below. Feel free to turn this way if you like. Good afternoon, everybody. So we've come to the middle day of this pilgrimage that we call session. And like any pilgrimage, it has been filled with unexpected delights and some not unexpected horrors. 
We've been privileged to see the morning mist on the lake as we walked about the lake in procession, hearing the sound of the birds as the sun rose above the mountains in this beautiful place called Daibosatsu. Yesterday, while Chigan Roshi was speaking, there was a mother deer just outside. I don't know how many people saw it, but from where I was sitting, it was the perfect vantage point. Mother deer and her baby. The baby was quite young and full of spots. It's just beautiful, going back and forth. We've been treated to Giyun and his beautiful Dharma talk, talking about his pilgrimage in the life of Zen. And treated to Shinge Roshi's wonderful recounting of the early days before this monastery even existed. And of course, the true pilgrimage in session is an interior pilgrimage filled with its own climate and weather patterns, sometimes stormy, sometimes brilliant and clear. Sometimes, I suspect, some people may have felt like the opening lines of Dante's Inferno, which go midway in our life's journey. I went astray from the straight road and woke to find myself alone in a dark wood. How shall I say what that wood was? I never saw so drear, so rank, so arduous a wilderness. Its very memory gives a shape to fear. Hopefully by the middle day of session, we're not feeling that way. But it's okay if you are. That's practice too. That is part of practice. To wake and find oneself alone in a dark wood. This is the pilgrimage that we're on. And for those who haven't read it, Dante's Divine Comedy turns out well. So here we are on the middle day of session. And I don't know if I'm alone in this or if other people have had this experience. It seems almost every time that I'm at session, uh, a poem or a song will get stuck in my head and it's there and it comes back. It repeats, it's, you know, it's, it's not on shuffle. It just repeats, repeats, repeats. And for me, this session has been Bob Dylan's With God on Our Side. It's a particularly apt song for the times that we find ourselves in when the country is polarized and 
There's propaganda from every side trying to convince us that our side has God on its side. I don't know if you are familiar with the song. I imagine that some of the younger people here probably aren't. Probably most of the older people have at least heard it once. It begins, oh, my name, it is nothing. My age, it means less. The country I come from is called the Midwest. As taught and brought up there, the laws to abide. And that the land that I live in has God on its side. And he goes through all sorts of conflicts, the destruction of the Native Americans, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I. And following the Second World War, the forgiveness of the Germans who are now on God's side also, even though they killed six millions in the ovens. But the part of the song that really has stayed with me most is the opening lines. Now, my name, it is nothing. My age, it means less. So Bob Dylan, if you aren't very familiar with him, was born Robert Zimmerman and changed his name to Bob Dylan, taking the folksy sounding Bob, which was appropriate for a folk singer, and the very poetic Dylan, the first name of Dylan Thomas, the magnificent Welsh poet. And just coincidentally, he wrote the song when he was 22 years old, which, first of all, is amazing um, that somebody so young could write such a wonderful song. But also, coincidentally, happens to be the age that I was when I first came to Daivasatsu Zenda. So Bob Dylan, Robert Zimmerman, my name, it is nothing. But obviously, there's something to a name, that's something powerful in our names. Most frequently, when I first meet somebody for a Dharma interview, the first question I ask them is, what does your name mean? And most people who have Dharma names can tell me what their Dharma name means. But most people who don't have Dharma names, I'm amazed at how few people actually know what their name means. But names have power. Bob Dylan would not have been Bob Dylan as Robert Zimmerman. It's a, it's a perfectly fine name, but it sounds like an accountant. <laughs> so it's not quite true that my name means nothing. My Dharma name, Hokuto, given to me by Edo Roshi, means North Star. I sat with that name for quite some time trying to figure out that koan. My Christian name given by my parents, Daniel, comes from the Hebrew and means God is my judge. And even though I wasn't very sure whether I believed in God or had any idea what God was as I was growing up, still the name the name had power.
And in this case, my name, it is nothing. You know the Japanese for nothing? Mo. And Bob Dylan was on to something very important there. As important as names are, they can hide the truth. Bob Dylan wasn't very well known when he wrote this song. He was only 22. He just started his career. But he wasn't singing as Robert Zimmerman or as Bob Dylan. He was singing as a prophet. And he wanted people to know, my name doesn't matter. What I have to say, that matters. I bring this up not simply because it's a wonderful song or because it's been going through my head, but because the koan that I'll be talking about has quite a lot to do with names. In Engo's introduction, he says, as to what stands Prior to the word, not one phrase has been handed down even by the thousand holy ones. What stands prior to the word? It sounds very much like the beginning of the book of John in the New Testament. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. As to what stands prior to the word, not one phrase has been handed down. You can't name it. No one can name it. If you had to give it a name, it might be the same as Bob Dylan said in his opening line, my name, it is nothing. My name, it is Moo. Or you could call it, if you wanted to give it a, another name, you might call it the Tao. But the Tao, I don't know how many of you have read the Tao Te Ching. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's, there are countless translations of the Tao Te Ching. Um, and this quote is from Ursula K. Le Guin's translation. Ursula Le Guin is uh, one of the greatest science fiction and fantasy writers but a really fascinating woman in her own right. This is how the Tao Te Ching begins. The way you can go isn't the real way. The name you can say isn't the real name. Heaven and earth begin in the unnamed. Name is the mother of the 10,000 things. Another version of that opening paragraph begins, the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. The name you can say isn't the real name. 
If you call it Buddha, you've already missed the mark. If you call it Tao, you've missed the mark. The way you can go isn't the real way. The name you can say isn't the real name. This is what Engo is getting at as to what stands prior to the word. Not one phrase has been handed down because it can't be handed down. Whatever you can say about it, this is the mark. If you're not yet intimate with it, you are separated from it by the 3,000 worlds. That's the key, that word intimate, such an important word. You don't become intimate with something by giving it a name. You don't become intimate with something, with anything by reading about it in a book. You have to live it, walk it, sit with it, let it break your bones. Even if you've attained some understanding of it and could stop the mouths of people living in the world, you're not yet worthy to be called clear-eyed. That is why it is said that heaven cannot cover it, earth cannot hold it, space cannot accommodate it, sun and moon cannot shine on it. When there is no Buddha, and when you alone are the master, then for the first time, you're worthy of being talked about a little. I'm going to skip the rest of the introduction and go directly to the main subject, which is very brief. A monk said to Hogan, my name is Echo. I ask you, what is the Buddha? Hogan said, you are Echo. Uh, as it's customary to give some biographical data about the uh, ancestors, I can say Hogan was a contemporary of Joshu and Uman and in our lineage, a contemporary of Fuketsu. His Chinese name is Fayan Wanji. And if I'm bad at pronouncing Japanese names, I'm horrible at pronouncing Chinese names. So if anyone is Chinese speaking, I apologize. But uh, his teacher was in the Japanese version, Rakan Keichin and the Chinese name Luhan Guichen.
Hogan was not the founder, but the most famous proponent of the last of the five traditionally recognized schools of Zen in ancient China. He had 63 Dharma heirs and was very well known and very important in his day, but his school only lasted for five generations. And there are a lot of very interesting stories about Hogan. This is a wonderful book called Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. And following the tradition that seems to be taking root uh, amongst scholars these days, rather than using the Japanese equivalents, he uses the original Chinese. So um, if I refer to Fayen, that is Hogan. If I mention Guichen, that is um, his teacher. And just to make things even more complicated, sometimes uh, Guichen is referred to by the name of his monastery, Dizang. And in Japanese, although according to the uh, genealogy I looked at, uh, he's Rakan Keichen in the Sekido, uh, Sekida uh, translation, he's referred to as Jizo. So it's completely confusing, but these are, they're all the same people, regardless of the name. Okay, so this is from the transmission of the lamp and recounts the first meeting of Hogan and Jizo or Fayan and Guichen. Hogan Fayan was on a pilgrimage with a group of friends. And according to the story, it began snowing and they had to stop at Guichen's monastery and stay for some time. Guichen asked Fayan, where are you going? Fayan replied, on an ongoing pilgrimage. Guichen said, why do you go on a pilgrimage? Fayan replied, I don't know. Guichen said, not knowing is most intimate. At these words, Fayan instantly experienced enlightenment. This wonderful phrase, not knowing is most intimate. There's a, a Peter Gabriel song. I forget the name of the song, but the, the line from it is, it's only in uncertainty that we're naked and alive. Not knowing is most intimate. Only in uncertainty are we naked and alive. We always want to know where we're going, what we're doing, what we're accomplishing, what our goal is. But this story is so wonderful. Where are you going? On an ongoing pilgrimage. Aren't we all? Why do you go on pilgrimage? I don't know. Now, there are a lot of ways that one can say, I don't know. You can know that you don't know 
and know that there's no knowing. Whether or not Fayan at this point had achieved that level of insight is unclear. I don't know. Was that the I don't know with which Bodhidharma replied to the emperor when he asked who he was? Or was that the I don't know of I'm lost? I don't know. But Guichen managed to reach him immediately. Not knowing is most intimate. This not knowing, you know, people pay lots of money to be in the position of not knowing. It's called going on vacation, right? You go to a different country or a different city, someplace you've never been. Perhaps you don't speak the language. You don't know the customs. You don't know the food. And this not knowing is the greatest thing. People will pay big bucks to not know. Wonderful. And why do they do that? Because that's when you're alive. Like Peter Gabriel said, it's only an uncertainty that we're naked and alive. Now there's a different story about how Fayan became Guichen's disciple and achieved awakening. This one is in the record of Zen master Fayan. When the snow was gone, the three monks bade farewell and started to depart. Dizang, that's Guichen, accompanied them to the gate and asked, I've heard you say several times that the three realms are only mind and the myriad dharmas are only consciousness. Dizang then pointed to a rock lying on the ground by the gate and said, so do you say that this rock is inside or outside of mind? Fayan said, inside. Dizang said, how can a pilgrim carry such a rock in his mind while on pilgrimage. Dumbfounded, Fayan couldn't answer. He put his luggage down at Dizang's feet and asked him to clarify the truth. Each day for the next month or so, Fayan spoke about the way with Dizang and demonstrated his understanding. Dizang would always say, the Buddha Dharma isn't like that. Finally, Fayan said, I've run out of words and ideas. Dizang said, if you want to talk about Buddha Dharma, everything you see embodies it. At these words, Fayan experienced great enlightenment. It's the difference between reading a menu and eating a meal. The difference between hearing a description of music and hearing the music. Giyun mentioned how he came to Zen and how the loss of his Christian faith was very important. 
in his turning in this direction. And I was thinking, well, why did I get into Zen? And I know that part of it was that I had once read a description of Zen monks who were walking in the rain, apparently totally unconcerned about it, quite happy. And I always hated getting wet. And I thought, you know, it would be really nice to be that way, to just be able to accept whatever comes along. That must be really something. I think that was what lit the fire. I suspect that those monks that were happily cavorting in the rain understood what Dizang was talking about when he said, if you want to talk about Buddha Dharma, everything you see or feel embodies it. So that is Hogan and how he came to understand. A monk said to Hogan, my name is Echo. I ask you, what is the Buddha? Hogan said, you are Echo. This is, number one, a very famous Zen story. Hogan, of course, is not in our lineage, but it's such a perfect example of what Zen is about. Someone confused and asking, what is Buddha? What is real? What is unreal? What is, what is God? If Hogan explains it to him, he really has done him a disservice. He really has thrown water on whatever fire exists in this person. You are Echo. Who are you? Beyond this name, who are you? What are you? And of course, you can explain it in Buddhist terms. Well, we are an expression of conditions. And this is perfectly true. There is no self. We are simply an expression of conditions. And as conditions change, so does the self. Until finally it dissolves. You can explain it in in great detail and in words that seem to be illuminating. But until you have gone on your pilgrimage and found yourself in this dark wood, utterly lost, until you have experienced the pain of not knowing, the pain of trying to hold on 
to whatever it is you think that you know, when really there's nothing that you can hold on to, when really whatever you think you know is a hundred thousand light years away from the real. This pilgrimage can be very frightening and it can be very painful. But until you have gone on this pilgrimage and realize you don't know, not in a cheap and easy way, but in a way that is bought with your sweat and with your fear and with your being stuck, being absolutely stuck. Then you can say, I don't know. I don't know. And then you know the intimacy of, I don't know. You are Echo. He's saying this not because he wants Echo to get stuck on the name. Oh yeah, I'm Echo. No, he wants Echo to explore what does it mean to be Echo? What does it mean to be Kimpu? What does it mean to be Togan? What does it mean to be Hokuto, Shoteki? What does it mean to go on pilgrimage and discover the wonders of being Shoteki, Daishin. To discover the wonders of, I don't know. To discover the wonders of everything you see directly presents itself. You can't discover this by asking, what is the Buddha? Much less reading about what is the Buddha. Everything directly presents itself. Walking around the lake, watching the mist rise, feeling the cool breeze, listening to the birds, what is the Buddha? sitting in the zendo with pain, with the feeling of being stuck, the feeling of can't go forward, can't go back. What is the Buddha?
being in the dining hall and spilling soup in your lap. What is the Buddha? Getting sick. Having your plans fall apart. What is the Buddha? What is the Buddha? When you are lost in the wood, what is the Buddha? Everything directly presents itself. And every occasion, good, bad, unexpected, is a moment that you can awaken. Perhaps especially in the unexpected. falling flat on your face, tripping, stubbing your toe, breaking a leg. What is the Buddha? Ow! That's it. That's it. Directly presenting. No intermediary. Just this. Secho's verse. In the land of the river, Faintly stirring, the gentle breeze of spring, far away, deep among blossoms, the partridge sings. Ascending the falls, the carp became a dragon, yet still by night, fools fish for him below. in the land of the river, in the land of Beecher Lake, faintly stirring the gentle breeze of spring. It's not quite spring right now, it's more summer, but still feels very spring-like here. That gentle breeze, it's just a joy, an absolute joy to be sitting or walking, feeling that gentle breeze. Of course, Secho is using this as a metaphor for another kind of gentle breeze. The gentle breeze that blows away all of the dust. a metaphor or reality. It's wonderful. Far away, deep among blossoms, the partridge sings. I don't think it's a partridge, but there's a bird singing right now. And even being quite deaf, I can still hear it. And it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Ascending the falls, the carp became a dragon. 
Yet still by night, fools fish for him below. So this is Hogan. Another time, a monk asked Hogan, what is the Buddha? And Hogan said, first, I ask you to practice it. Second, I ask you to practice it. This is what we're doing on this pilgrimage. I ask you to practice it. You want to understand? It's not hard to understand. Just sit. Practice it. Practice it. Practice it until you understand that there's nothing to understand. And then go on practicing it. And as you go on practicing it, the carp becomes a dragon. And sitting in the zendo, or sitting outside, or walking around the lake. The Buddha, with no name and no understanding, directly presents itself to you. Enjoy the rest of this week-long pilgrimage. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.